Welcome to the Two Cent Dad Podcast, where we interview dads to discuss their journeys of intentional fatherhood while doing work they care about and living a life of purpose. I'm your host, Mike Sudik. The, the struggling moment is the seed for all innovation. Like the moment that we take away struggling moments from our kids, we're actually hindering them from mo- learning how to innovate and be better. Today's guest is a father of four, married to the same woman for 26 years, creator of 3,000 products, and world thought leader in the jobs to be done methodology. Bob Mesta from the Rewired Group joins the show today to talk about how jobs to be done, which is a framework for thinking about product creation, flows into fatherhood. Well, today on the podcast, I have a very special guest, Bob Mesta from the Rewired Group. So Bob is a father of four, husband of 26 years. He's created over 3,000 products. He's one of the leading thought leaders in jobs to be done, method and theory. Um, and why I wanted to have Bob on is because, Bob, you, you epitomize having made it, right? You're a father of four. You've successfully been married for 26 years, all while growing a company. You obviously have never screwed up and, and succeeded, uh, right? So, <laughs> so that's why I wanted many, to have you on the show. Times, <laughs> many, many times. I have, I have lots of bruises and bumps to be able to, to share along the way, and part of it is I feel like uh, you, you with your you know six-year-old, four-year-old, and eight-month-old, I look think back at those times and like, wow, did I even really pay enough attention? Do I have enough memories in my head to remember that stuff? And so there are things that, that um, I would love to be able to pass on. And, and at the same time, I would say, no, I haven't made it. Um, there's, there's, no, there's no ideal thing. It's the trade-offs that you have to make along mm. the way. I think as a, as a, as a parent – you, you always have to there there's there's just never enough time to do it all so you have to be able to figure out how to what your priorities are and how to make the trade-offs and and live with the decisions that you make yeah no I think that's that's really important I know that um, part of the reason I reached out to you is you know getting in getting you know into the research of jobs to be done and yeah. um, reading a book called how will you measure your life by Clayton Christensen which yep. I know you do a lot of work with him yep. um, but I wonder if you could just kind of um, Maybe do an introduction to yourself of in terms yeah. of like you know your journey to where where you got to today. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so first of all, I, I was um, I was born premature and I have had three close head brain injuries. So it starts with the fact that I'm dyslexic and that my mm-hmm. mom has a family. My mom basically was a teacher and she knew that if I was labeled as dyslexic or special needs. Um, I would be dependent on the system. And so she actually, as a, as a parent, she, she taught me, in her words, it was to collaborate, but in the old days it would be cheating. But she taught me how all these workarounds to figure out how to cope with and not stick out and get my B's and C's so I could pass, uh, uh, you know, so I could pass my classes. And so, but from that, what I've learned is how to ask really good questions and be, to be very curious and why and not being able to see words and being able to have to have conversation around things. And so doing that, I've been able to, I started taking things apart when I was four or five. I started having to put them back together so I didn't get in trouble by seven or eight. Um, and I've been putting things together since then and I've pretty much developed and launched uh, over 3,500 products. But the, the reality is I've built a whole bunch of different methods and tools to help me do that. And it's the gift of my dyslexia that has gotten me to this point. And so, um, uh, I think that's that's kind of the, the the message is that you know never know where life's going to take you, but the fact is is you continually want to make progress. And this notion of jobs to be done is really about trying to help people 
uh, understand the progress they're trying to make by pulling a product into their life. So they don't buy a product. They say they hire it and they hire it to, to get to an outcome. And so they're in a situation and that outcome helps us then figure out kind of how to design better products and services. And so um, it's that two-sided coin of what's the opportunity, but also what's the problem or the context they're in. And by doing that, you usually, for me, I've been able to develop, uh, I've gotten much better at developing products by using that lens around things. So would you say that your your early exposure to that was with your dyslexia and then your your mom was saying, hey, we have this this problem in this context and we have to figure out a way to to help Bob make this progress? Uh, well, and that, it's so, so for example, I think the, the one important thing that she taught me, it was how do I learn? So I'm, for example, I'm a kinesthetic learner. So if you make me sit still and, and you, and I have to remember something, I actually can't remember a dang thing. And so, but if I take notes, I actually can't read the notes, but the imagery of doing that actually reminds me of exactly what I was doing. And so I have full recall as long as I'm moving. So in my office, I have whiteboards everywhere. I have places where I stand. I have standing desks. I have everything to be able to constantly be moving because that's how I how my mind works. Um, the other thing is that I'm, I'm a, also a visual learner. And so um, what's really broken in my brain is this connection of words. So I can see words that are seven letters or longer, but I can't like once I get it, I'm still not sure what the word is. And so I have to uh, use the context around the word. And then at the same time, I don't have the greatest lookup mechanisms. And so it literally is my eyes and my brain go ahead of my ability to look up. And so I get everything gets jumbled. So the way my mom taught me to read was circle the seven largest words on a page and guess. Hmm. I've been doing it since I've been six years old. And to be honest, I've turned into a hell of a guesser. I can literally read a book and get 80, 90% of the comprehension by just looking at the big words. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, people are like, well, that, that means you can read. I'm like, okay, I can read, but I have, but it's just not in the traditional linear way that people have been taught to read because I have this, this problem where what I actually do is I see spaces. I don't see the word. So I start at both sides of the word and go this way or go, go together. And so that's why I can't see small words because they all jumble together to me. So that, I mean, you've already kind of alluded to it, but that weakness has, has really led to a unique way of thinking for you that it yes. seems like has really given you a unique advantage, especially in your consultancy and figuring out new ways to to create products and then position yep. products and all that. So that, that's really but fascinating. I, but I think it, this relates back to your children, right? At the same time, you have to realize that as much as uh, they, they, they came from the union of you and your wife, all, all four of my children are so uniquely different because of, for example, uh, the birth order. The, the first kid is very different than the fourth kid. And, and, you know, we didn't really know much about the first kid. And so we pampered the crap out of him. And by the fourth one, you know, little Susie, she's uh, three stairs up and she falls down the stairs. And we look at her and say, get up. Where if it was Marty, we would have run over and said, are you okay? Are you okay? And so <laughs> there's just all these different contexts we wrap around it. And so knowing that around your kids and that, the, the struggling moment is the seed for all innovation. Like the moment that we take away struggling moments from our kids, we're actually hindering them from lo learning how to innovate and be better. And so to mm. me, it's our job is not to protect our children. Our job is to prepare them for the world. Now, it doesn't mean you want to put them in harm's way, but at the same time, helping them too much or not having them step up and understanding consequences is an important thing to me that my wife and I have spent a lot of time of using, I'll say, jobs principles to help us raise our children. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. 
Why, why do you think that people uh, want to protect them so much? I mean, you know what? There's a tendency like, you know, helicopter parenting these days yes. or, you know, people talk about that. Is that genuinely, do you think people know that they're, they want to give them their kids that experience and it's just a fear of, of not wanting them to be hurt? Yeah. So in, in the jobs framework, we talk about their social, emotional and functional things that are going on when you when you decide to actually take action to do something. And my belief is there's there's a there's a there's a level of fear of I'm not going to be a good parent. There's a level of social fear where I don't want people to think I'm a bad parent. Um, and the reality is, is, is to be honest, there's no handbook and we really don't know what we're doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And so the moment that you're there is like, if I can just control everything, then that makes me a good parent. And, and if you reflect on the people you knew as kids in high school, those parents who were, were, you know, the, the most controlling and, and controlled those kids, those kids were the wildest in college and typically weren't able to actually have the skills to cope, to move up, move ahead. And so part of it is it's that, it's a, it's that. Is it called a paradox where it's, or, you know, you, you see one thing, but it's actually more control actually gives them less control. <laughs> so it's very interesting. So what is that? I, no, I think that that's really interesting because what it, it's almost like a generational thing that when you, you have the control, then you have the rebellious child and then maybe right. the rebellious child either doesn't, doesn't want to repeat the control. So it goes completely right. the opposite way or exactly. says, that's- I, I need a control because I know how wild I was and maybe they want they but either way it's this this generational repetition you know or so, you know patterns that kind of emerge exactly. so how do you break those patterns I mean how do you so the first the first thing you do is you have to acknowledge the patterns you have to be able to see what they are and how they work and what what's what's going on with it and and again be able to um, separate from which is a which is a almost like a natural law like physics like PV equals NRT. Well, I, I can't break that pattern because that's it's a, I'm not smart enough to know how to do that. But at the same time, there's certain patterns where it's like you know, you know, my parents were very strict, and typically you'll find that the the stricter they were, um, and and again, growing up, I would say they were very you know, that's not fair kind of thing. And the reality is like I, I think about it and say like, my my mom and dad weren't there to be my friend. My mom and dad were there to help me guide me to what I, what, you know, to reach my potential and to, to work hard and give me work ethic and do a whole bunch of things like that. And so to me, it's, it's really about making sure that we've, you know, understand our role and perspective in it. And then seeing how, like what, what, what's the real outcome you are seeking as, as a, as a parent and what are you seeking for your child? So it's actually two things. You're not just trying to be the best for your, for your kid. You want to be also the best for you. Because if it's, it's if it's horrible for you and it's great for your kid, it's still horrible. And if it's great for you and horrible for your kid, it's still horrible. You got to figure out how to make sure it's 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 the right for both of you. Yeah, no, I, you said you you're not there to be your child's friend, which that might no. be good for you, right? Like you can you gain a friend, <laughs> but it's not the best for the but child. It, but, it, but it's not like so. We my wife and I have had long conversations about this, but we feel there's three things we have to kind of impart to our children as they're you know, as we're blessed with their presence, you know, till, till they move out, which is one is I got to teach them how to make good decisions. And to do that, I got, I can't make all the decisions for them. They have to make decisions and then they have to be able to, um, make bad decisions because they got to know how to do that. Cause you're not going to be around the whole time. And the other thing is to figure out what they love to do. Like if anything, for me, it was really this passion of realizing what I'm good at and what I'm bad at. And, what was interesting is my life turned uh, around or turned for the better 
when I was about 35 when for the longest time my mom basically said I should never tell anybody I was dyslexic. I shouldn't uh, reveal it and you should constantly work on it. So at 35, like 32 to 35, I was always working on spelling and I could never spell. And like, you know, I would think of was UV. If you listen to the word of, it's UV. And so trying to go to the dictionary and find of in the use is, is, is impossible, <laughs> right? And so, so part of this is being able to realize like what I'm really not good at and letting go of it, but figure out what I'm really good at and go find somebody who's good at the stuff that I'm bad at. And so I've found business partners and everybody that, who's now around me is we complement each other because I have what I would say I have special powers in seeing patterns and being able to pull causality out and being able to see how things work. But, you know, I suck at accounting, but I have people who love how to add things up. And when things balance, oh, my God, they get joy out of it. I'm like, you go. You just go do that because I don't want any part of that. <laughs> so it's self-awareness right? is what you're talking it's self -awareness. about. self-awareness. Yeah. And I think part of it is teaching our kids the self-awareness. Like, so when they're not good at something, it's like they have a choice. Do you step up and try to get better at it? Do you have to – like I think one of the things that we – my wife and I, again, were very explicit about is like practice. Kids who played gay – like if you signed up for a sport, you had to play the whole season. There's no way you were going to quit. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the moment – what we would say is the moment that the kids understood and appreciated practice and loved practice as much if not more than the game, everything got better. And that life is really about – you're never always in the game. You're almost always practicing. And so can we actually get people – our kids to understand the value of practice and the value of getting better at things and the value of focusing on two or three things and, and then – yeah, winning will come by by being knowing being self-aware and so that's really where i think kind of how a lot of this translates back to you know how we how we've raised our kids so what was another guardrail that you guys used was it a general don't quit mentality uh, you know the sports was it was an easy concrete thing to say yes you're you know you're gonna follow through with a commitment you're gonna work hard um were there other things around that because that that could be taken to the extreme you know the other way too, yeah right? That's right, because if, like um, if you if in a lot of cases, I think the the desire of a, a kid is always to look good and be good at something. And what you find is that if they're not good at it immediately, let's say they like all, all four of our children played ho ice hockey, and you know if they're not good at it right away, it's like oh I don't want to do this. It's like no, go out and, and skate, see where it is. You know, basically by by forcing them to think through that and get better at it. Um, to be honest, they could start to see progress in the moment that they saw like, boy, this week I was better than last week or, you know, now I can skate backwards where I couldn't skate backwards. And all of a sudden they could see progress in, in different ways. Then all of a sudden they, they learned to like it. But, you know, if they watch the hockey game on TV and think they're going to go out and skate like a hockey player, it's kind of like, well, no, I don't want to do that sport. And they end up doing nothing. And so to be honest, it was sitting it through. And then at the end, they'd have so if you've listened to any of the jobs to be done interviews, the interview technique is really based on criminal and intelligence interrogation. So it would be like, why don't you want to play hockey anymore? Or why, you know, and it's, it's, they, they couldn't just say, well, I don't like it. It's like, is it too hard? Is it the fact that it's too often? Do you want to have other interests? You have like, you, you just can't quit because you say, yeah, I just don't like it. Like almost the word like is the, one of the worst words in my fan, you know, in the, in the family presence where, where they like, they say they like something. You guys say, why do you like it? What about it? Do you like, what don't you like about it? And it's unpacking all those terms. And so I think to me, it's, it's really making sure that they're explicit about kind of what actions they're taking and why they're doing it. And so whether you're, whether you're hiring something and hiring a new sport or hiring a, a laptop or, 
my 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 oldest son had a buy a mattress the other day, and it was pretty funny because it's like, well, Dad, can you just help me buy the mattress? I'm like, nope. You can use. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. He's in college. I'm like, you can. I'll give you the credit card, but you got to figure out how to buy it. He goes, well, I I don't know how to pick it up. I don't know where to get it from. I don't like. You got to go figure that out. Like if I did it for him, he'd not like at some point he's got to figure out how to do He's 20, he's 22. And so he's, he's got his job and he's getting ready to graduate. And it's one of those things like you got to figure this stuff out. Like I'm not doing it. So, but it's, it's really, easier just to take care of it, Bob. Just like, you don't want to have to have him asking you this question. Just do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's, I have to tell you, that's the thing is that, and, and this is where you'd say, boy, I had it. I've made it. I would say there's times where I, as a parent, you just don't have enough energy, right? You just run out of energy and it's like, oh my God, let me just get this so he can be done with it. But what you start to realize is that every time you do that and the more you do it, you actually are hurting them. They're, they're not becoming independent. They're not, they're not, they're not going to know how to, you know, chase like, how do you get kids to understand you got to change the oil in a car when like at least when I was a kid I had to go under the car and change the oil and you'd figure out where you had to put it like like they don't understand any of that stuff and even when it comes up it's like dad what do I do I'm like oh my gosh all right let's you know get, I would just basically now I say go get rid of the 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 light or get rid of the 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 thing and they say well how do I do that go online and talk to Google mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because if I tell them they just they, they don't it doesn't register yeah that's so, that resourcefulness, right? Teaching of yeah, resourcefulness. To, that's to, right. To and curiosity. Out. Curiosity. Yeah, that's right. Those are important. Those are important traits. And when they're young, it's a little harder. But at the same time, you'll be surprised at how fast your kids will mature and how, um, how 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 smart they get when you give them that latitude and freedom to 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 fail. Like especially when there's very little consequences to it. Teaching them about failure and how to step up and how to pick themselves back up and try again. And I think those are all important things. Yeah. As starting as early as riding a bike, you know, it's an easy example, oh, but yeah. that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and, um, to be honest, I, I, again, I'm one of those people who would take things apart. So a lot of times we'll get a new bike and, and, and it'd be like, all right, Hey Henry, let's go take the bike apart. And he's like, what? I'm like, let's just, what, what are these things? How do these wheels go on here? Like, and you just start playing like, they they just become curious of how things work and like well how does the how does the wheel stay on and you start asking questions to them and oh it's because these two bolts go together well how does that happen well they create you know you can start to talk about language and teaching them concepts and all that stuff around a bike yeah yeah I, I actually was like changing the brakes on my car and I I, yeah. I had my six year old son and I was like come out of here you're gonna help me like he's like oh, I don't know and then. Then he's like ratcheting it and he's like getting dirty, you know, he yeah. just totally loved it. And, and I think the, the balance is how much do you force them to do that? Because if they just say, I don't really want to, or I'm going to do this other thing, it's still exposing them to other things. And like you were saying, you, you get to teach them other concepts, other words. And yeah, I, I, I just, I think that they have so much free time and there's so much other sensory stuff. I think like the the one thing to me that's really missing in schools these days is they've gotten rid of like metal shop and wood shop and art and a lot of these basic like all my kids had taken like all the the core classes but they they very rarely don't know how to do stuff with their hands and so to mm-hmm. me it's like we're gonna go hang pictures today and it's like oh god dad I don't want to do that I'm like all right here's what we got we got to put tape up here we're gonna use a drill like yeah but I can use a 3m thing all right well let me tell you why the 3m thing will work on here but it won't work on there because of the surface finish of the pen. and then also like oh and so part of it is just educating them about common sense stuff I think that's really our role as a parent is to help them fill in those gaps 
Mm-hmm. So I, whether they whether they complain about it or bitch about it, like it's not. I, I, my thing is, is that again, my job is not to be their friend. My job is there to prepare them, you know, to how to make good decisions, find their passion, and respect others. And so, I, I have that responsibility that I have to pass on. And by the time they're thirteen or fourteen, it's tough because they're very well formed by that point. <laughs> That's you know, I actually was talking to a guy that was um, probably about your age, and he was said, you know, you you reap basically what you sow by about yes. by about middle school, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and you might not realize it, but once the kids reach about middle school, that's when you see kind of the fruit of your efforts, and they could be good or they could be bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I said I had a I had a guy I worked with at Ford, and he basically said, "Look, you're going to spend the time with your kids one way or another. You can spend it on the front end, or you can spend it on the back end. But I'll tell you, spend it on the back end is ten times more expensive and frustrating than spending it on the front end. So <laughs> if you can spend the time, spend the time up front because it'll 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 get dividends. But if you don't spend the time, you'll end up you know supporting him forever and doing it and i'm just like and he, he, that just stuck with me as like yeah i gotta make sure always carving time to make sure you can go do stuff and there's no meeting that's important not to you know having four i think there was an advantage for us where we had this talk with them to say look there's four of you there's two of us we're not going to make every game we're not going to make every practice we're not going to be there all the time and i think the moment you go from two which is man on man to zone like the the rules change a little bit, but but now when I'm at practice, I'm there, or when I'm at at the game, it's like I'm at your game, not not any of the other three. And so it forced us to be very very mindful of when we're there, that it's special to them, and that it's it, and that we have to be there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's an advantage of a bigger family in some cases. So you said you were what like about 35 when you said you had that that. Um, shift from yeah. being self-aware. How old are your kids at that that point? And then what? How did that affect your parents? Oh, they were they were your yeah, so my I have my first at thirty. So let's see, 30, I would, they would have been five. Let me just think about this. Yeah, five, three, one, and a newborn. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, all right. <laughs> and it, and and it was it it was like you know I can't to be honest I can't do all this and be try to figure out how to spell of it's like okay something's gonna have to give here and there's a couple of books that I you know people recommended to me that I listened to that were very very helpful one one was um uh the uh the uh, basically a strength finders mm-hmm. uh, where it really declared what I was good at and it basically helped me realize like I need to be doing this kind of stuff and not that kind of stuff and so um, the second book was called The On Purpose Person, which is uh, by Kevin McCarthy, who's a great guy. I've actually gotten to know him. And and Kevin talks about basically that that, that you you need to really seek to find what 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 unique thing you have inside you that's been inside you all along that drives you. And so I exist to make the abstract concrete. And so if I'm doing something to make the abstract concrete, that's that's I'm living on purpose. And so, for example, when I – and I took that principle and did it in everything I did. So like in, in hockey, like I didn't play hockey. I didn't skate. I was a horrible skater. But I helped the kids and I, I was like the, the, the dad coach who would 
you know, herd the pucks and make sure they're in line. And in the moment that they learned the game and it started to become competitive, I wasn't making the abstract concrete anymore. It was like, okay, somebody else has got to do that. But I could help them take the, the abstraction of skating and hockey and offsides and learning the rules and kind of where to play and, and, and the basics of it. But once it got to being getting much better at it, it was like, okay, we got to give that to somebody else. And so I knew when to be a coach and when not to be a coach by using these by using that book and, and the principles behind it. It's very, very helpful to me to, I think saying no is, is as important as being able to say yes. Yeah. So how do you, related to that, how do you, um, so one of the things is like, how do you not speak something over your child prior to that? Like, you know, not fulfill prophecy before, right? So I may, I'm not saying that right, but saying like, okay, not declaring they're only good at these three things. And so that puts them in a box. You know, my wife and I are kind of uh, go at it with that. She's like, well, don't speak that over them. You know, we need to help them discover what their strengths are. And we don't want to put them in a box too early. Cause I'll say, oh, my son's very engineering minded and he likes to build Legos and everything. Um, yeah. And I, 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 I actually think that it's much, much stronger than that. So as much as you can shape it, the fact is, is if they're not it, they're not it. Like, yeah. uh, like I, I think, um, I have, uh, so my oldest is a, you know, he went into school as an engineer and is just like, dad, I, I, I want to do math. I want to work with data. And he's, so he's a math major now and he loves it. And he's like, but at some point it's like, you know, and he felt like he was letting me down by saying he wasn't an engineer. I'm like, no, I, I want you to figure out what you want to do. And I just want to know why, you know, why is engineering not what you want to do and what, what about it? And he, and he, he had great answers for it. And so to me, it's, it's more, I think we have to guide, but at the same time, we have to know when to not be so rigid that we're like, no, you need to be an engineer because you're good at these things. It's like, <laughs> you got to trust them. So I, I, I'm, I'm not sure you can over, I'm sure you can, but I, I just don't, I don't, I don't think we have that much power over them that they'll do something that they hate because we told them to. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. So, so I, I do think sports is a really important thing or some kind of team thing because the world we work in a world where um, learning discipline, learning to know how to get better, learning rules, learning, you know, kind of teamwork. There's a whole bunch of things that you learn so young and it's almost like you can tell um, kids that didn't play sports from playing sports, at least in the world that I work in, and especially in engineering, you just find that like, you know, they're used to having the answer and the answer is the answer. And there's only one answer to everything. And you realize like, okay, there's 15 ways to score. You know, there's not, you know, there's, there's not one. And so part of it is, I think sports is just a, it's a great way in which to get your kids kind of oriented to and, and see things beyond you as a parent. So it forces that socialization that's more than just video games, if you will. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree a hundred percent with that. I think I've seen a negative trend with that though, in that being all about the sports, not oh, necessarily yeah. about the outcomes. Like my, my six year old, you know, we'd sign him up for T-ball and we said, we just went to the, the city league here in Grand Rapids. You know, it's like sign up. It's like 35 bucks. And it's like, well, he could get on the exclusive premier yeah, 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 six year old yeah. team for like $700. And I was like, well, why does that matter? Well, then it sets him up for success and he can, yeah. you know, I'm like, well, really, what, what is this about? Why are we even doing this? We're not doing this because we think he's going to be a professional baseball player. We're doing this because so he can get social interaction with other kids. He can learn how to, you know, be a part of a team. And, and I think that was a conversation my wife and I had, but you see that, um, it goes, I think it goes back to the buddy thing because it, then it becomes about like what it's, it's right. a social club for the parents. It's a status thing. It's like, Hey, yeah. you know, my son plays on this premier league or whatever. And, 
Well, and I, I will say I fell into that trap. I had, uh, I have one, one kid who played, fo- all of them played hockey, but one played uh, football and played football in college, and uh, another one who played in hockey and played AAA hockey, and then was in the Olympic development program, and then basically went to college to play hockey, and then realized like, I don't want to do this anymore. And it's like all of those, so those things where, where. Again, I, I think they end up learning what they like and why they like it. And at some point in time when I think the my daughter basically said, look, I, I want to go to school and play hockey. I don't want to play hockey and go to school. Mm. I'm like, okay. And so part of it, though, is she was very driven. She loved the teamwork part of it. She loved the camaraderie part of it. Um, there was, you know, it was, it was very, very social in that aspect. It was, it was hard. She loved to work hard, but at the same time, it, when it got down to like, I get a scholarship for this and I want to do these things, but it's like, yeah, I don't want that pressure. I'm like, okay. So she she actually plays on the boys team, uh, at Xavier. Um, uh, and she's the only girl in the league. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so she dropped, she was at the university of Michigan and she was playing in the girls there and she dropped out. And she went down to Xavier and basically is now she's a math major as well. And she's uh, she's she's uh, playing hockey with the boys. It's a little scary because it's full check, but yeah, I'm all right with it. So, well, right. I'm not really all right with it, but <laughs> how does your you wife know? feel about it? <laughs> My wife's actually more comfortable than I am because Mary Mary's six one and she's a she's a defenseman and she's bigger than most people on the ice. And she when she throws a check, it's she's she's hitting hard. So it's like but it's just one of those things. It's, you know, it's my daughter. So. Yeah. I can so. I can partly understand. I mean, I, yeah. my daughters are really young, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my my whole thing was I was afraid as a parent. I was afraid like, how am I going to handle dating? Like, oh my gosh, like I I, I have no idea, I, no concept of any of that. And then as she was playing hockey, and uh, she was like twelve or thirteen, and she got in a fight, and she played with the boys, and she beat the crap out of this boy, and it was just <laughs> like, you know what? You can date anybody you want. I'm all right with this now. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, well, um, hey, you know, so much. Yeah, I, I think I think the thing is balance. It's 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 realizing that you know the I, I've done six startups. My thing is is the businesses will come and go. Um, you know, there will be people who judge you on all different ways of whether you're a good parent or a bad parent, or you're there too much, or you're not there enough. And my thing is is you just need to come to terms with what you are how you want to raise your children because at the end you know you're, you're you're born with your family and you die with your family and that you have to be prepared for kind of that that reflection of that time period that you did the best you could as a parent to do the you know what's right for your family because that's what's most important yeah well thank you so much bob i really appreciate it thanks for your time yep no problem thanks for having me on And thanks for listening to the show. You can find out more about us and sign up to receive updates at twocentdad.com. If you liked what you heard or just want to say hi, you can shoot me an email at mike at twocentdad.com. Please leave a review on iTunes if you like the show. It helps us to get the word out to the most people possible. And the show is made possible through the support of EC Group International, building software teams since 1999.